And welcome back to the IGN Digigods. Wade Major here with my good friend... Tim Cogshell, sitting in for your other good friend. That's right. Tim is sitting in for Mark, who is uh, still out doing crazy mad hours on this insane Oscar project that I'm sure we will hear all about next week after the Oscars. So, uh, Mark, say your prayers for him. Maybe uh, say a nice thing or two about him on the Facebook page, and he'll check in at some odd hour of the night when he's he's being so beat up. It's all for you. (laughs) He's being so beat up. But meanwhile, we continue to have our amazingly cool first-year Oscar poll, uh, or Oscar pool, I should say, uh, thanks to uh, the wonderful, great, and amazing Yassine, our good friend and listener who has uh, has set up our Facebook page. he was the one who suggested this. So, Yassine, thank you very much. Uh, good going. We uh, have an office pool at uh, the Oscar pool, the Digigods Oscar pool at funofficepools.com. The group is The Digigods, capital T and then H-E space Digigods with a capital D and a capital G. Password is Lars von Trier, all lowercase, one word, no spaces, and that'll get you in. you got to sign up first, and uh, fantastic swag. we got some classic olive Blu-ray titles. And then uh, Boyhood on Blu-ray and uh, the uh, Frank Darabont collection on Blu-ray. Uh, right now, that's it. That's the package so far. I'm hoping I'll, uh, I'll accumulate a few more titles as the, uh, the, the days go by. We're one week before the Oscars now. So go in and uh, get your picks in there. We're getting pretty close. I think it's getting pretty easy at this point to uh, begin formulating your Oscar picks, all the, all the big pre-Oscar awards are, are now in the guilds and everything. So we're, 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 you know, by now you should sort of be formulating your, uh, your picks. Um, Tim, anything, uh, anything of interest that, uh, has happened to you recently that you, you, we usually, you know, we usually start the show off Mark and I do by talking about anything other than DVDs or Blu-rays. We, uh, we waste, usually waste the first 10 minutes <laughs> of, a, of a valuable show, just bantering about junk, but you're, you're a professional. You're, you're not a loser. Well, so. Not terribly long ago. <laughs> I ran into my doppelganger, Mr. Spike Lee. People, oh, people out there won't know this because it was a podcast, but, I, but, but some folks think that Spike and I look remarkably alike. <laughs> um, um, and, and they're correct, of course. Is it because you wear weird outfits to, to New York <laughs> Knicks games? And, and, and scream. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a neat thing. But in talk, we, we have a nice conversation. Though. People don't know, people may not know, but last year, I guess it would be last year now, like, uh, 84, was the 25th year anniversary of Do the Right Thing. That makes me feel so old. Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I can feel my bones creeping too, uh, uh, but we had a nice conversation about that and a few other things. So, you know, that was my big event uh, for the last week or so. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I hate even bringing things up like, uh, boy, I remember my uh, my first year at Cannes. You know, my second year at Cannes when they had uh, Pulp Fiction and, <laughs> and the piano, and 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 people were like, really, you saw Pulp Fiction? Wow, that came out two years before I was born. <laughs> I just want to punch those people. I get that so much. Don't, now. Don't don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. That Don't say that like, to anybody, people. feels like yesterday. Well, anyway, we, uh, we're going to start off the show. Mark always uh, ridicules me for not talking about uh, the, the new movies first and talking about documentaries or something. So since Mark's not here, I see no reason to... Might to, as well irk him. Might as well, might as well just, just do what he always wanted me to do and then not do it when he comes back. Um, you know, Tim... Nightcrawler. Yeah, well, interesting. Uh, Nightcrawler, Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, 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 film, Dan Gilroy writing and directing. Now, look, uh, this is the um, Dan Gilroy, who, by the way, is married to Rene Russo. Yes, and who has who's been in the film? Who's in the film? Does actually. a great performance. And Dan Gilroy, who's been a great screenwriter for a long time, uh, and, and here is you know making his directing debut at what is he fifty eight or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit long in the tooth for that, but nevertheless. 
really directing like a very young man. This, yeah. is, this is a very, very good film, a powerful it's a film. Great film. Now, you know, look, I have some thoughts about this film. There's some things about it that bug me, but I do think that it probably should be should have been recognized a little bit more than it has been for this year's Academy Awards. I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is fantastic in it. The Blu-ray is wonderful. Has a lot of really great extras. Really first rate in all respects. And uh, I, I just, I, it's just a fun movie. It's just a really, really fun movie. Uh, feature commentary here with the writer-director, Dan Gilroy. Yep. yep. Terrific stuff. You know, a little less than uh, engaging is Before I Go to Sleep. And this is oh, so disappointing. And it's really unfortunate. Um, this is a Blu-ray and uh, uh, digital HD combo set. And uh, Ultraviolet, of course, the digital HD. And, you know, this is a great cast. I mean, Nicole Kidman has yeah. won an Oscar. Colin yeah. Firth has won an Oscar. Mark Strong hasn't won an Oscar, but we all know very, who he very, is. Very, very, very strong. Very strong actor, Mark Strong. British actor. Great British actor. You know, he was the bad guy in the first uh, uh, Short, Sherlock Holmes Sherlock film. Holmes, yeah. You know, he has, he has certain... He's just... He, he does... He's the voice... What is it? Jaguar? Is he the voice of the Jaguar commercials? He's the voice of the Jaguar commercials. He, he also... Uh, uh, he, he was, he's in a couple of different series of films, too. He was in Low Winter Sun. That's what it is. So yeah, I'm thinking of, yeah. Uh, 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 That's uh, right. Uh, adaptation of a British series that aired here in yeah. the United States. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, great cast, but unfortunately, not such a great kind of movie. I mean, it's a... It, it's Rowan, a pre- jo- Rowan Joffe. Yeah. It's just a kind of a generic thriller like we would have gotten in the... 90- it's, like, it's the kind of thing Adrian line would have made yeah. in the 1980s yeah. except it's not it's not as good it just it's it doesn't have the same pizzazz and i guess it's based on a novel but um anyway it's uh, the whole the whole thing is basically about a woman played by nicole kidman who um has had this weird accident that basically gives her kind of instant and recurring amnesia and uh as a result she's trying to do the memento thing right yeah. trying to piece her life back together and it starts to feel a little bit contrived at a certain point. It's it's almost for me like Shattered. Do you remember the Wolfgang Peterson film yeah. Shattered? Yeah. Tom Berenger, uh, which is like the worst movie I've ever seen with the greatest ending. Yeah. Like Shattered is a movie where I'm where I sat there for about a hundred or hundred and five minutes, and I was like, "This is just crap. I hate every second of this. This is the worst movie. Are you kidding me? No, you didn't." And in in that one amazing moment, it just like redeems itself at the end. It's the weirdest thing. This doesn't quite do that. Uh, It's still still disappointing. It's not terrible. It's not great. If you like the stars, I guess I can kind of give it a guarded recommendation. Maybe, kind of, sort of, somewhat. Not so much for me. Um, So so this year, one of the... um, one of the big films this year, one of the one of the seminal independent films this year, was Dear, Dear White People, the film from Justin Simeon. This this got so much. It's funny because a lot of people think we should remind them. A lot of people think when you know that a movie that doesn't get an Oscar nomination or doesn't get a critics award is snubbed or ignored. I, I got to we were in the room. We were in the room. This did not get any awards from the LA Film Critics, but every single category. This was in the mix. It was in the mix. If not an actual runner-up, it was right there in the mix, right down the line. It had a lot of love. This Um, film had a lot of love in the room. And and it's a good movie, so we can just say that about it right out of the box. Justin Simeon's film uh, is is a very good movie. It's set on a fictional campus uh, with all these great characters. It's funny. And that's what I think that I want most people to think about, uh, Dear White People. This film is absolutely hysterical. Let me see what they put on this. they got some deleted scenes and outtakes uh, here, which I think is kind of really, really neat. Um, uh, a couple of parody videos, uh, as well as a cast and director commentary. Sweet. Excellent. Can't get better than that. 
Uh, from MPI, we have Days and Nights by Christian Camargo. Uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is actually a, um, this is a, a really interesting film. Uh, Christian Camargo uh, of, the, of The Hurt Locker... Uh, makes his directing debut here with a, a an adaptation of the Seagull by Chekhov, but it's not like a it's not like a straight adaptation. It's uh, he 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 basically it turns it into kind of a, a, a I guess a, a modern day how do, how do you want to put this kind of a kind of a gives it sort of an urban uh, kind of a, a suburban twist mm-hmm. modern day present day American suburban twist and. Um, it's actually much funnier than you would expect for an adaptation of Chekhov. He finds little edges to the seagull that are, you know, I'm not a Chekhov fan normally. Mm. I think I mentioned that about Miss Julie yeah. last week, the, uh, the Mike Figgis film. But, uh, you know, here you kind of start to realize maybe there's a little more to it. And when you, uh, you adapt it for, for the, the screen, you can, you can do some interesting things. And he has a really, really, really great cast. I mean, he's got William Hurt, Allison Janney, uh, Russell Means, Michael Nyquist, Jean Reno. Mark Rylance, Ben Wishaw, who we're also going to talk about again in a different movie in a moment, uh, Katie Holmes. I mean, this is a really, this is just a, a fantastic cast. It's really an amazing cast, and they're all really good. And uh, it's kind of a little gem that I think people need to pick up on. It's all it, slip by. Days and nights, definitely cool. I've got Dracula, the Untold Story. Now, this oh is, dear, this no, no. I got to tell you, this 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 is this this was actually interesting for me. Charles dances in this movie. Well, the, the, it's the story. It's the story. Of the, it's the origin story of Dracula. Yeah, a sort of made up origin. story We keep story going of back Dracula. to Charles Dance. We keep, but <laughs> and, and if, if there's one thing to watch this sort of CGI effect movie with all these sort of people bursting into big swarms of CGI bats and things yeah. like that, if there's one thing to watch in this movie, it's Charles Dance. When Charles Dance is on the screen doing one of the soliloquies from this movie, you feel like you're in Shakespeare. You don't feel like you're in just a big, silly, sort of Dracula CGI movie. Mm -hmm. Some people can just bring it like that. may not make it a movie that you want to definitely put it in and watch, but if you're inclined to a big, sort of action Dracula movie anyway... Get Charles Dance. Get the one with Charles Dance in it. (laughs) Uh, By the Gun... You know, usually movies that have that 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 come when we get them, and I got a picture of a guy holding a gun on the on the on the, the cover. I just kind of oh no, really another one of these because literally there's like fifty of them every week, and it's unbelievable. Um, this isn't bad actually. It's got a de- decent cast, directed by uh, James Motern, who I've never heard be- heard of before. Does a very workmanlike job uh, for a crime film. Kind of what what would otherwise be a somewhat generic crime film about a you know a, a thug who's trying to sort of work his way up, um, not very Scarface like, uh, but it's uh, it, it's it you know what it it does the job and it's got some good actors in it. Uh, Toby Jones is wonderful. Harvey Keitel always very good, although he's getting surprisingly old. Uh, Leighton Meester, uh, all of them you know really do a great job. And Ben Barnes, the the star star of this thing, is is pretty solid. So um, a better film than I expected. James to be. James directed a movie called Trucker with Michelle Monaghan. As a matter of fact, Michelle Monaghan oh, produced Trucker. that movie. I I did see that. Yeah, actually. she's the trucker in that movie. Trucker. Yeah, uh, neat little movie. Start up, man. Uh, this is a neat movie. Jack O'Connell is in this yep. movie. Uh, and uh, ben, and Ben Mendelsohn, Ben Mendelsohn is particularly good, ben but Mendelsohn. so is Jack. Love Ben Mendelsohn. And of course, we know Jack is in uh, Angelina Jolie's movie, yeah. uh, Unbroken. He's the young yeah. man in, in Unbroken. This is a really, really good movie. Starred a British film, mm-hmm. set entirely in a British prison. Jack uh, gets sent to, pr- to a prison where his father, played by Ben Mendelsohn, already is. And there's this hierarchy in this very, very dark and hardcore British prison. 
His father is literally physically at the top of the prison, like actually physically. The more important you are, the higher up they put you. And, and this young man has to make his way up to the top of that prison so that he can, so that he can confront his father. Really, really good movie. Love me some Jack O'Connell. This guy is going to be, we're going to be talking about him for a while. And, and you know, I, I love Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn is in um, Black Sea, which is out oh, yeah. right now. The, uh, the new Kevin, McDon- Kevin McDonald, who, of course, did Last King of Scotland. And uh, 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 Jude, Jude Law. Jude, yeah, it's a submarine movie, right? Yeah. Jude, basically, you know, guys who are, who, are, who are looking to raise a U-boat in the Black Sea that may have gold on it. But Jude Law, but Ben Mendelsohn is part of that crew. And there's always a, you know, all these movies, they all kind of follow a certain old 30s, 40s, hard-hitting World War II era formula, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you get a bunch of guys together, there's always the loose cannon, the mad dog, right? The guy who can't be controlled. He screws everything up. The best laid plans. He's the one who's like, oh, I'm not gonna do that. Oh, I'm not gonna screw you. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. <laughs> and Ben Mendelsohn is always that guy. Like, in every movie, he's the mad dog, because he's a little cockeyed, and he's got that Aussie accent, and he just, he'll, he'll cut you, man. He'll cut <laughs> you with cut a you, knife. And, and I, and, and it's, I just love Ben Mendelsohn. Good I know stuff. he's getting stereotyped and cast, and, and typecast in that, but He's great. He's great at it. My Old Lady uh, is a wonderful movie. I, uh, this, this did not get nearly enough traction, and it needs to. And, and it's nice to sort of be able to recommend something that involves somebody who is, who is a former colleague. Uh, one of the producers on this, Mike Goodrich, who used to be a member of the L.A. Film Critics mm-hmm. and now runs a, a sales company, a production company and sales company out of the U.K. And they, uh, they were very deeply involved in putting this together, as were the people at Cohen uh, Media, for whom uh, I, I occasionally do uh, DVD commentaries. And uh, it's really a terrific movie. Kevin Klein, Kristen Scott Thomas, Maggie Smith. Here's the deal. Kevin Klein is a guy whose dad has died. And he's inherited his dad's um, uh, apartment, basically a kind of, yeah. a, you know, in, in France. And he goes there and he finds out that Maggie Smith is basically living in half the apartment. It's kind of a duplex. And as is Kristen Scott Thomas, who plays her daughter. And there's, there's a French law. That this is all centered around a real, a real. It's an law. actual law, which I didn't even know about when I lived there. Where you, it's a little hard to explain, but basically, um, you can kind of do a reverse mortgage type thing with someone when you sell it to them. That you get to stay there, and uh, so Maggie Smith used to own the thing. She sold it to. Kevin Klein's dad, with the understanding that she gets to live there for the rest of her natural life. Him assuming that she will die before he does. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a bet. You make yeah. a bet. You, you and sometimes people just die quickly, and you're you're like, sweet, I get to sell the place. But and sometimes the person like lives forever, and they outlive you in this case. So Kevin Klein thinks he's going to sell the place, but he realizes he can't. He's got to wait for Maggie Smith to die, and she mm. ain't moving. Yeah, and. Can't and kill her. And it's it's a great little uh, it's a great little bit of tension. It's a lot of fun, but the movie's so well done. It has such a wonderful trajectory, and it goes where you don't expect it to go. And and here's the great thing about it. Um, other than Maggie Smith, yeah. other than Maggie Smith, uh, this was written and directed by Israel Horowitz. Oh, who's like what eighty? He's, he's something like that, seventies, yeah. I think at least. Israel Horowitz is the father of Beastie Boy, Adam Horowitz. Yes, he's a, he's a, a very respected playwright. 
This is his directing debut. It's never too late, folks. It's just never, never too, too late. late. And never it's beautiful. Late. And it's a well-made movie, too. So, it is. So, so you don't really sort of age out of that kind sure of thing is. there. John Wick, man. Keanu Reeves movie, right? Yeah. So when this movie came out, uh, you know, a few months ago, a little bit earlier in the year, I went to see it. And I got to tell you, I sit and I watch this movie. And you got Keanu Reeves, who plays a Russian hitman. And this guy. He's a guy, who's a guy, he's a guy who used to be bad, who went good, and has to go bad again. Why does he have to go bad again? Because these little Russian gangsters, little snotty Russian gangsters, kill his puppy. And you know what? He kills everybody in this movie over this puppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, they, and they all got it coming. Sweet. They absolutely do. What I like most about this movie... Uh, Keanu Reeves jumping around in this movie doing all that those martial arts that is Keanu Reeves jumping around in this movie like a spider monkey didn't he like 43 or 50. 45 50 Keanu, oh Keanu beat you to 50 uh, yeah I beat him to 50 uh, but, but <laughs> Keanu is, he's jumping around in this movie like a spider monkey doing all of these this martial arts it's directed by a, a couple of stunt guys Chad and uh, Lekeski and a guy named David Lech yeah. they're stunt director guys they know what they're doing so when they put all those scenes together, they work really, really well. The narrative's okay. You've seen, you've heard the narrative yeah. before. But Keanu Reeves doing this thing in a movie. Go Keanu. Sweet. You know what? Uh, I was surprised. This is we we got a giveaway. I should point out this week, and this is the this is the giveaway that the that centers around. Uh, I got the Book of Life here, and we're also oh. going to be giving away a copy of the Book of Life. So um, before I get into the movie, I'm going to give you all the details. Just go ahead and email us at gods at digigods.com. Again, gods at digigods.com. And uh, put book in the uh, subject line. Include your name and address in the body of the email. Again, book in the subject, uh, name and address in the body of the email. And uh, we will, by some point, uh, before the Academy Awards, make sure you get this to us before the Academy Awards. Uh, you know, so let's, let's make sure it's, it's date stamped by the 21st, February 21st. Make sure that your email arrives to us by Saturday the 21st. And we will uh, pick a person and send you a copy of the Blu-ray DVD Digital HD Ultraviolet combo set of The Book of Life. Here's the deal. This is an animated film. Kind of from the uh, amazing mind of Guillermo del Toro and uh, the director, who's a friend of his, Jorge uh, Gutierrez. And it's, uh, it, it, the whole thing is this really fun... The, the artwork and the look of the thing is entirely inspired by the, uh, the whole Day of the Dead thing in, uh, in Mexico. And uh, it's, really, it's really incredibly cool. Um, this, this got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Animated Film. And I am shocked that this was beat out by the box trolls for mm. a nomination. For I mean, look, everyone thought the Lego movie was going to get nominated. Okay, those guys are not popular with the animation branch because they're not really animation directors. They mm. do things like 22 Jump Street and, you know, so they're considered carpetbaggers by the animation crowd a little bit. So um, why the box trolls? Why not Book of Life? Book of Life was better than the box trolls. Anyway, uh, this Diego is, Luna. You had some interesting voices in Book of Life. You got Diego Luna. You got uh, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, uh, a voice in there. Channing Tatum's voices in that. It's great. It's an interesting thing. Interesting the way they the way they cast voices in these films now. Yeah, um, you know these sort of actors, these sort of famous movie star voices that come to these films. Sometimes they're distinguished and and, and, and distinctable. You you know the voice you're listening to, but sometimes they just sort of blend in. You know, without the rest of their it's persona, really nice. they're not. They're, a lot of great there. special features here. Uh, featurettes. Um, a really great uh, kind of a, you know special effects uh, animation thing here, an audio commentary by Gutierrez. It's really good animation and art galleries, fantastic. I'm looking at this uh, wonderful uh, PBS Icon documentary. Yeah. Uh, on Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor Icon. I happen to have seen this on PBS when it came out. 
It's a fantastic documentary about the great comedian uh, that goes deep into his life from when he was a straight-laced sort of, you know, little skinny tie and suit-wearing comedian uh, who would never say anything blue through his um, um, the moment at the Hollywood Bowl when he completely and totally goes insane uh, and f- more or less flames out at the Hollywood Bowl, saying some fairly controversial things. Uh, lots of interesting people uh, in this film, too, that show up. People who worked with Richard Pryor, who worked, um, I mean, Richard Pryor did, did a whole lot of interesting things. Uh, Brooks, Mel Brooks, shows up in this film. People forget that Richard Pryor was one of the writers on Blazing Saddles. Yeah, uh, the, 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 he the, was. Uh, the iconic Mel Brooks yeah. film. Interesting. <laughs> When Mel Brooks hired Richard Pryor to work on that film, of course he figured that Richard probably wanted to write a lot of the Black Bart stuff, you know, write a, write a yeah. lot of it. Yeah. But no, Richard wasn't so much interested in writing that stuff. Yeah. Richard wanted to write all the other fart jokes yeah. and things yeah. like that. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do. So when you watch Maze, uh, uh, Blazing Saddles yeah. and, you, and you're laughing, you'd be, amazed, you'd be amazed at some of the jokes that you're laughing at and who wrote them. It's, it, it, great stories. And, you know, it's funny. I only recently found out about the, 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 the legendary Hollywood Bowl oh, concert yeah. from Richard Pryor. Which is like one of these amazing, you know, it's it's not like a just a regular concert. He got hostile with the audience, and they got hostile with him, and oh. it became like a grudge match. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. that stuff's amazing. He got it got dark that night at the oh, Hollywood Bowl. Wow. Uh, you know what? One of my all-time favorite movies of 2014. You like that? All-time favorite All of 2014. Of the, yeah, yeah. This made my top ten. Didn't make anybody else's top ten. The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. All three of those movies. All three of them on one Blu-ray. Uh, this, I think, is such a brave experiment. We've, we have a lot of experiments In this a year. year when we're talking about experiments, Birdman, Boyhood. Uh, Locke. Uh, Locke. Uh, you know, all in, in, in a car. This was one that got overlooked for some reason, it, and it shouldn't have. Ned Benson, uh, who, this is his basically his first film. He um, impressed some investors with the concept, which is to tell the story of a relationship and it's, uh, it, you know, it, just the way that it came together and the way that it fell apart um, from the point of view of the two different figures. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. What was the John Hughes film? He said, she said. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, with no, Kevin Bacon. No, no. Completely different from that. I mean, he literally made two different movies. And then edited bits and pieces and other footage together into another one. So you have The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, him, her, and them. And three them. movies. And they're three movies, and they really are three distinct movies. It, yeah. it's, it's such an interesting thing to watch these movies when you're, when you're going through these scenes, because obviously you see the same scene more than once, yeah. three times. And even, even in what he chooses to, to do in terms of what they're wearing... Because plainly, they, yeah. they, 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 they could have only wore one thing. Yeah. But it's all about perception, isn't it? It's he amazing. remembers that she wore that. She remembers that he wore this. Yeah. She remembers he said that. He remembers she said that, but mm. this way. And, and it completely changes the dynamic of what you understand about the relationship. It's fascinating. I, I, I think one reason this didn't get enough love is because, you know, when we're, in, when we're under the gun and we've got, oh my gosh, we've got to see 20 more movies in the next, like, three days. How, yeah. how the hell am I going to do that? Uh, and uh, you, you're like, I'm not going to watch all three versions. You really only appreciate this when you've seen all three versions. You have to watch all six some odd hours to really soak this in, but it's worth it because it's 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 exhausting. You might think it's tedious, but it's a, it's fast. It's It'll such an make amazing your examination experiment. The way you engage in your own relationships, and it will remind you that you're only seeing things from your own point of view. Totally true. 
So anyway, uh, it's weird. They 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 call they say that uh, the the two other versions of the film, him and her, are special features, I, I, which I think is silly. It just needs to be all. It, it, I don't know why they're doing that, but anyway, you also get a Q and A with them. There is no Ned Benson commentary, which is what I most want. So hopefully, there is a special edition somewhere down the line in the works. If this is successful enough, we then get to talk about uh, you know hear Ned Benson actually go into greater detail. Well, uh, that 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 love those movies. You should see them. You should see all three. So I got uh, Predestination here in my hand. Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and Noah Taylor. Right, adaptation of a very short Robert A. Heinlein story. That, that, that short story by Robert A. Heinlein is only 12 pages long. They beef it out oh here. Oh, my gosh. Only tw- and they beef it out here with another storyline that's, that's, that's perfectly fine, fits very nicely into the dynamic of this time travel story, and that's what it is. It's kind of a time travel story. It's really even deeper than a time travel story because it goes beyond the notion of simply moving through time. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's complicated and very satisfying. What I do like about the movie uh, is despite the fact that it sort of uh, you know, beefs this story out a little bit with, with another storyline, it still sticks to this sort of wonderful Robert A. Heinlein sort of dialogue. This, this sort of very arch-sounding dialogue that's in that short story. It's all in this movie. Um, very good stuff from the Sprague brothers uh, and Ethan Hawke. Predestination. Fantastic. Good stuff on here, too. Looks like they got some bloopers and a journey and a journey through time featurette. Don't know what that means exactly, but there, there it is. Uh, you know, lilting. Boy, I don't even know where to go with this. Ben Whishaw is an actor I like a lot. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, ben Whishaw, of course, kind of sort of got on everybody's radar with uh, Perfume. And he's really been on everybody's radar a lot more recently with Paddington, which is, I think, a wonderful family film. Doing big business in the UK. Not so much here because they didn't really release it properly, which sort of surprises me. A little late and a little, yeah. Well, what's interesting was originally in Paddington, uh, it was Colin Firth who was doing the voice of Paddington the Bear. And they they decided, uh, it's not really working. And he was like, you know what? I agree with you. It's not working. So they went and recast the voice after the movie was already finished they went and got Ben Whishaw who is so boyish mm. and sweet and and he nails it he just kills it and I think everybody including Colin Firth is probably happy about that but Lilting however by uh, the writer-director uh, Hong Kao is not so wonderful and um, I, Ben Whishaw tries really really hard but the um, for some reason this just doesn't click and it feels I think a little bit thin uh, basically, the idea here is that in, in London, uh, the, the Cambodian Chinese boyfriend of uh, Ben Whishaw has um, passed away. And it is how he and uh, the young deceased man's mother, who is very Asian and very old world and very sort of you know traditional... It's essentially about the evolution of their grief together and how they kind of come to grips with all these things. And um, it sounds like a great idea. It's just incredibly thin. There's an interview with the director and uh, a short film on here and a, and a trailer and a couple other things. But it, it just it, – it never it never really quite nails mm. that emo- – it doesn't kind of hit you, – you want it to hit certain emotional beats – and it never really does. It kind of dances around them, and it pulls its punches, and it's just too bad. Yeah, well, it's funny. I sit here now with, in, in, in my hand, uh, The Best of Me, a, an adaptation of a Nicholas Sparks oh, dear. film. We talk about emotion and, and sitting right on top of the emotions as uh, what happens in all of the Nicholas Spark, Sparks adaptations, The Notebook and Safe Haven. This is The Best of Me. This is James Marston and Michelle Monaghan. And it's the same sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's just hyper, hyper, hyper emotional. The reason why I had high hopes for it is because the director is Michael Hoffman. 
Um, Michael Hoffman, the last station, of course. I love Michael Hoffman. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, a really sort of accomplished director, you know, isn't able to really infuse anything any more sophisticated into this material than you will find in any other, you know, Nicholas Sparks sort of adaptation. It's a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. That's just what it is. There you go. Now, Joss Whedon is a guy that um, I would love to dislike, uh, but I, I, for some reason, he just came, seems to keep mixing things up in a very unusual way and, uh, and, and involving himself in projects that I, I never actually fully expect. And uh, In Your Eyes is, I mean, like, for example, you know, he, he, he'll do Avengers and then he'll, like, get a bunch of people over at his house and he'll shoot a black shot and white little, adaptation yeah. of, of yeah, the Shakespeare. Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. Which is just, you know, it's like you, you got to, he's an interesting guy. He really is. So he mixes it up. Anyway, Amplify is a, uh, a new independent distributor, and they're releasing through Anchor Bay on DVD. And this film, In Your Eyes, is written by Joss Whedon and directed by uh, Bryn Hill. Yeah, who has a few films in the can, interesting yeah. little films I've yeah. seen. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, look, you can't go wrong with me when you cast uh, Zoe Kazan in anything. I just think Zoe Kazan, notwithstanding the fact that she comes from a famous family, uh, is just absolutely wonderful. And uh, this is a really, really sweet, funny, uh, quirky kind of uh, fantasy romance. And uh, I, it, it really is It's just totally unusual. Um, the uh, the guy in this is Michael Stahl David, who I'm also not familiar with, but uh, it is uh, it is really a, 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 without giving anything away, it is really very very interesting. And uh, you, you, I don't I, you know Joss Whedon could have directed this himself. He could have gone to a studio and and tried to really put this together as a much bigger bigger project, but he didn't. He executive produced it. He wrote it. And he went the indie route with it. And I guess when you're making Avengers films, you can you can play those games. Yeah, you know, direct a Shakespeare you do, movie at your house. You can, can do, do all these kind of things. It's, it's so, in your eyes, really, uh, it, it's 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 you know, it's a little bit it's a little bit of a fantasy. It's a romance. It's funny. It's uh, it's just really unusual. It's a very clever little script. And I'm glad that the guy must just write nonstop all the time. Josh was yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's my guy. Ouija. Um, it came out uh, uh, last year. Oh dear! About a Ouija board, one of those movies, you know, a bunch of kids get together. They have this Ouija board. Now the kids say to each other right off the bat, you know, you should never, you should never do the Ouija board alone. Oh dear! If you do the Ouija board alone, something terrible will happen. Uh-huh. Well, what happens five minutes after that? They do something with the Ouija board. Right? Uh, Ouija board alone, and the Ouija yeah. board pretty much eats everybody in the movie. You know what was funny about this movie when I when I saw it? Every kid in this movie is just a terrible actor. <laughs> Every single one. You'll see movies, and there'll be a bad actor here, a bad actor there. This one managed to stack them all together in one movie, um, which is, I suppose is an achievement in and of itself. Not a whole lot on this Blu-ray. Um, um, uh, of Ouija too uh, so you know I don't know whatever if you like this kind of stuff have fun uh, you know Hector and the search for happiness um, yeah such a <laughs> yeah time. you know that movie I swear to god that movie was exactly Walter Mitty the Ben Stiller version of Walter Mitty that yeah. he did last year yeah that movie and this movie in Hector and the search for happiness are the exact they same are, they? movie I think I like this better yeah I mean it, neither of them are great um, I think the Ben Stiller film is too ambitious for its own good, and this one is. But it's not. A, it's not really that Walter Mitty story either. No, it's yeah. not. It's a completely different thing. Look, I uh, here's what Peter Chelsom, who directed this, uh, solid director, rock solid. It's made a lot of wonderful movies, and you can't go wrong with this cast. I mean, Simon Pegg, who is 
great in his own right all, all the time. Uh, by the way, you know, Simon Pegg is, uh, they've mixed things up completely on the new Star Trek movie. He's not Scotty? No, he is Scotty, he but, is. He's all, he's, but he's also writing it now. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. An interesting undertaking. I did not know about that. It's That's a, new information for me. Yes, it's it, it's rather it's it's interesting uh, because the uh, the the previous writing team, one of them is a friend of mine. So I haven't yet asked him. Um, say what what happened uh, there? I've kind of been afraid to even broach the subject. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, Simon Pegg. It, this is uh, really uh, it, it, you know I I guess it, it Fox didn't really throw a whole lot of weight behind this didn't. Sort of thought it maybe a little bit too quirky, but it's uh, it's a good cast. Simon Pegg, Tony Collette, Rosamund Pike, who's an Oscar nominee now, now because of Gone yeah. Girl. It's a cute film, has a bit of a heart. Stellan Skarsgård, Jean Reno, and Christopher Plummer. Uh, it's you know, it's, and great it's, locations. He travels all around the world in that movie, but and they actually go to all those places. But it's it's on DVD, not Blu-ray. Yeah. No DVD, not Blu-ray. Interesting. Yeah. Um. 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 Uh. uh the Homesman, Tommy Lee Jones's film, uh, which a lot of folks thought would be in the Oscar. Discussion right now. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, not after I saw it, now, which yeah. is not to say that it's, a, that it's a bad movie per se. And actually, there's a lot of. I know some people who love this movie. There's some lovely work in this yeah. movie. Lovely work amongst the women, uh, particularly Hillary Swank's character. Um, the, these are people out on the out on the uh, the prairie in eight. You and I had a really interesting conversation well, about yeah. this during during voting period. The, yeah. the mistake of this movie is that is that Tommy Lee Jones made this movie about his character. He plays. Yeah. He is the homesman. He's the, yeah. he's the character in this movie who's hired by um, this this woman. Played by uh, um, um, what's her name? Um, well, Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank. Played by Hillary Swank to take uh, a number of women who simply had nervous breakdowns out on the plains. So many, apparently, this was a thing. Out. These women go, went crazy out on these desolate. Couldn't plains, handle it. Couldn't handle it, and they had to be taken back east. And uh, through a number of circumstances, she hires him to take them back east, and all kinds of stuff happens. It's a tough movie to watch. The mistake of the movie is that he made the movie about his character and yeah. not about those women. Yeah, they were the interesting. They were the interesting characters. Totally in the true. Storyline. So you know that to me. But the Homesman, not exactly in the Oscar talk. A lovely movie, I will say that. The cinematography in this oh, movie yeah, is truly, gorgeous. truly beautiful. Movie. And 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 uh, Meryl Streep shows up. For some reason, at the end, yeah, <laughs> it's very unusual. Yeah, hopefully, the solidify this Oscar. I, I love Meryl Streep when she's actually a a like when the movie's about her. When it's sort of like I understand why she's in the movie, but when suddenly you get to the end of a movie that has someone else in it, and they're oh hi Meryl, it's a cameo. She's not someone I want doing cameos. No, she can't do cameos. Yeah. It completely sort of changes the focus of what's going on yeah. in the film. She's not also not much of a supporting player. M- Meryl Streep is a movie star. Yeah, and she should be at the center of movies. Uh, where everything is swirling around her, not out on the periphery. So uh, I've got a couple of uh, really unfortunate movies here, and they both have one thing in common, and that would be Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and I just don't know what's happened to Nick Cage. I just I see his face attached to a movie now, and I just roll my eyes. It can it can sometimes be uh, the death kneel of a movie. Yeah, it can. So first off, there is Dying of the Light, which is a Paul Schrader film, which you would think would be a significant uh, plus, but it's not, unfortunately. Paul Schrader is is on fumes these days as well, and uh, I just I I just don't know what's wrong with Paul Schrader. I don't know what happened to the guy who who wrote Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver yeah. I just don't know, and many other fine films, obviously. I I just don't know. Uh, basically, it, this is just a completely generic. Kind of a ripoff of every one of those Taken type movies, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Nick Cage, you know, he used to be a he's, he used to be a CIA guy, 
And uh, now, you know, his former uh, kind of Robin to his Batman, Anton Yelchin, uh, finds out that there's some terrorist guy that they thought they'd put away has finally come back. And, oh, gosh, there we go. And it just gets, oh, it's so ponderous. Um, and it's not terribly well-directed, so I just don't know what Schrader's doing. I don't know what he's trying to do. Uh, it's really unfortunate, and, uh, you know, Nick Cage just goes through the motions in it. Uh, that said, that movie is Citizen Kane alongside <laughs> the new edition of Left Behind. Now, if you're not familiar with Left Behind, uh, Left Behind the Left Behind books are a really, really big deal in evangelical circles. Uh, this is the, the books were written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, and they're all about. It's sort of a big geopolitical thriller that you, that basically teaches all about these uh, these very evangelical religious concepts, the rapture and mm, so forth. End times, all that. End times. It's all very uh, yeah. And uh, we already got one taste of this. There were, I think, three of these things done about 15, 16, 17 years ago. Yeah, with, that original Kirk Cameron film. Kirk Cameron, who plays the reporter in the, the... Well, here, there are multiple characters in these things. So the reporter is a toned-down character in this one. Uh, Chad Michael Murray plays the part that, that he, Kirk, Kirk Cameron, Cameron had previously him, played. Yeah. Now we're focusing on the pilot character. So they've reoriented everything, made a few plot changes, none of them for the better. And Nick Cage plays the pilot character who's much dirtier and grittier. And he's a guy who gets left behind in his, you know, his, he never really saw the point of God and all of this. I, look, without, without kind of judging the religious aspect of these films, because I get it, they're made for a certain audience. Mm -hmm. It's a really badly made movie. badly made movie. It's just a bad movie. And spending a lot of money on Nick Cage doesn't change that. No. And the guy who directed this is Vic Armstrong. Now, Vic Armstrong is not a director. Vic Armstrong is a stuntman. Yeah. Vic Armstrong um, did... You have seen him literally hundreds of times. Uh, If you've ever seen a James Bond film from, you know, certainly the 70s and 80s, you've seen Vic Armstrong. Indiana Jones, Vic Armstrong. Uh, Vic Armstrong is basically the guy who doubled for Harrison Ford in the first three Indiana Jones films because he looks so much like Harrison Ford. He's the guy who directed this movie. He should go back to doing Indiana Jones films. Yeah, that would be that'd be really important for him to do that right away. Yes, right away, because <laughs> this is this is not good filmmaking, and it's just not good screenwriting either. It's really, it's just everything is on the nose, and it's just terribly embarrassing. And then there's like a there's like a whole plane landing sequence, and the the daughters in the car, and they're running. It just makes no sense. It's just they're trying to turn it into an action film. To their credit. Um, they leave the ending somewhat open-ended, obviously, for a sequel. They don't do what the previous film did, which gets into all the UN and the Antichrist and all of this kind of stuff, and it just gets really, really kind of... It gets out there. Here, they try to keep things very mysterious, and they set you up for another film, which hopefully will not come. There are a number of those books, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, there's like seven or eight of them. Oh, look, I got laggies over here. This yeah. is a neat little movie with, 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 with Keira Knightley and Chloe Grace Moretz and Sam Rockwell in it, right? It's a yep. little romantic comedy. Not a lot of people remember it. Not a lot mm-hmm. of people thought about it. I liked it. Lynn Shelton film. I liked it quite a lot. Lynn Shelton, who, of course, is part of the whole Duplass that brothers, whole that whole group of mumblecore scene. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're doing that. She, she did a good job here. Uh, Kira Knightley plays this young woman, about 29, 28, 29 years old, and she has a group of friends. All of the rest of them have sort of grown up, gotten on with their lives, had the kids and all of that. She's still sort of hanging around. She's one of those sign twirlers. You know the gals, the guys who stand out on the street and spin yeah. the sign? Yeah. <laughs> That's what she's doing at 20, for her father, for her, for her father's uh, accounting firm. And she runs into this little girl, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who's not so much of a little girl anymore. 
and she finds herself hanging out with Chloe Grace doing what, you know, 17-year-olds do. It's one of those uh, I-need-to-learn-how-to-grow-up movies by being taught how to grow up by somebody who's much younger than me. Yeah. She has to, she has to act like a grown-up because she's... About a boy. Those, you know, about all of yeah. those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet and all of that kind of stuff. Sam Rockwell's a lot of fun in this movie. You know, with a cast like this, you would have thought it would have played a little bit larger in theaters. It didn't, but it's okay. This has some deleted scenes on it and a commentary track from the director, as, long as, a, as well as a featurette and a couple of music videos, stuff like that. Uh, Noah Wiley uh, keeps kind of trying to reinvent himself, and God bless him for doing it. Uh, he's not an easy guy to, to break that mold. He's sort of been stuck in the ER. Yeah, that thing. young doctor thing, which just stuck Never, with him for years. It's it, so unfair, really. Well, he, he shows up here uh, along with Haley Joel Osment and Minka Kelly and, and Jeremy Irvine. Uh, decent cast in uh, The World Made Straight. Which is kind of one of these uh, rural noir things that are increasingly popular. And uh, the whole thing takes place in the Appalachians. Uh, in the, well, there's been there's a dark secret to this particular area. And, uh, you know, nobody, it of course haunts the present. And everybody's kind of trying to work out their issues and what happened long ago at the time of the Civil War, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it kind of uh, doesn't hold together at the end, but uh, David Burse, who directed it, does a does a solid job with the actors. Good job visually, and uh, you know uh, it's on it's on Blu-ray. Oh, well, you know, that, that, that's actually was kind of interesting. Daily Show director John Stewart uh, took that long leave of absence so that he could make Rosewater, which I totally respect. Yeah, I to- completely respect because he too. had this guy on his show. Yeah, uh, 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 Maz, I think is his name, was on his show, and yeah. it was sort of because of what uh, happened on that show that when he got back to Iran, that he was arrested and detained yeah. and tortured, and yeah. uh, Maz Abrani. And uh, it was a whole big thing, and uh, uh, John Stewart, you know, uh, felt in some ways responsible for that situation. I don't think it was just that was the only reason mm-hmm. that he wrote that he made uh, this movie, uh, adapted, of course, from the uh, from the mem- memoir by by Roz. But John did, in fact, write the script for this. He directed this movie with Guy Garcia Bernal. You know what? Uh, this movie. Um, you would have thought it would have done better because John Stewart, Daily yeah, Show, that totally. audience, that connection, all of that. Uh, I don't know why people were put off it a little bit. It's actually quite a good movie, perhaps a little bit earnest on the yeah. other side, uh, but it's a sincere film, that's, that's for sure. Well acted and well directed by John Stewart, who was an actor for a long time before he became a talk sure. show host, so he knows his way around a movie set. It's He's, not like he just got there. No. Uh, so, neat little movie. What do we got here? We got, um, well... It looks like we have uh, some some really interesting material about Iran's very controversial election in 2009, the election where everything sort of went... The, right before the Green Revolution. Right before the Green Revolution. There's yeah. a documentary on here about that. Seems very interesting to me. And uh, some uh, commentary from the director, John Stewart. Lovely. All right. Are we into... Uh, let's see. We uh, What else we got? we got? Oh, we got some TV now. Uh, the Bob Newhart Show. Uh, the original, the, 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 when you say that, you got to specify what yeah. Bob Newhart show you're talking about. Newhart, I suppose, the, the, the Newhart is the more recent show. Newhart, Bob, Bob, Bob Newhart, Newhart show. show. Yes. This is Emily the, and Jerry and everybody. So this is season five and season six, season six being the finale season. Yeah, the they've, they've been releasing show. these individually. The, the complete season was released a little while ago. The, whole, the complete series, I should say, that was released a little while ago. But yeah, they've been getting these, uh, these individual seasons out. So now I guess the individual seasons are all completely out there. So oh, i got to tell you, the Bob Newhart show still plays as, a, as contemporary television. You and I got a thing for Suzanne Plachette. Oh, for, 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 for real yeah, and for serious. Absolutely. Still plays as contemporary. They were so modern in this show, and it still plays that I, way I think me. the issues that he was treating people on at that time are probably more serious now. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like now some Suddenly, I'm like, I know people who have those issues. 
Um, Edie Falco, always everyone's favorite. This is this was amazing that she jumped from The Sopranos to Nurse Jackie, and you know that doesn't happen very often where you go from one hit show straight into another hit show, and it suddenly becomes, in many respects, your defining role. Yeah. It's like usually it's the first hit show that defines you. Uh, you know, once Bob Denver was Gilligan, he wasn't ever going to be anything else, true, right? True, I mean, true. yes, he was supporting on 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 uh, Dobie Gillis, but. Um, really, really, Edie Falco for the longest time it was The Sopranos. That was how everybody got to know her, and then Nurse. Now, it's, now she's Nurse Jackie. It's wonderful that she was able to redefine herself with this series. It's fantastic. She, she could have been lost in that. She could have been. So on Blu-ray now, season six of Nurse Jackie, and uh, it's uh, you know they, they they don't think that it was printed incorrectly. They there's a little bit of a registration thing that they're doing with the way that the cover was printed that makes it look kind of 3D holographic. That's intentional. Uh, because there's a, you know objects are uh, objects are higher than they appear. They're playing a little kind of playing a little game on the uh, on, on the theme of the of the show this season and uh, you know the show overall. So uh, it, you know yeah, it's it's definitely for fans. If you've if you have not seen the first six seasons, you're not actually going to want to see this. This is if you are a big fan, and it's a, it's a good season. It is. Uh, I think this show keeps getting better and better. And uh, it, in fact, is now returning this spring for yet another season. Keeps getting better. Interesting, interesting. Good, good on your showtime. I got a couple of documentaries over here. Yeah, hit them. Uh, uh, Bound by Flesh. Now, this is actually an interesting documentary about interesting subject. The director is Leslie Zemeckis, Bob Zemeckis's Oh, really? Wife. Who's is actually a fairly noted actress uh, who's been on a whole lot of television, a whole lot of stuff. Made another documentary besides this one. <laughs> this is about these sisters who were uh, conjoined twins, Siamese twins, as they're sometimes called, uh, and it studies their entire life. They were, as children, they were actually sold into white slavery. Oh so my like gosh. to one of those circuses, they right. grew up in the circus, and it's all about how they worked their way out of that, built lives for themselves, built fairly significant lives for themselves, as a matter of fact, and became pretty famous in the world. So it's one of those sort of neat documentaries about a little oddities of the world that you didn't know about but were actually true. Wow. Leslie Zemeckis. So here I got a I got a weird one for you. Uh, if you Shout Factory always finds such interesting stuff. If you are uh, are a fan of the Power Rangers, you are going to get a complete and total blast out of Super Sente. Uh, the this is essentially uh, Super Sente are otherwise known as Zyranger or Zyranger Zy whatever it is. Yeah. This is. Um, Essentially, the show that created the Power Rangers, and uh, if people don't know this, but this is this is how the Power Rangers phenomenon basically began. Uh, Haim Saban, Haim Saban, who is now like he's created a whole new distribution company. He's created an empire. I mean, he's literally a billionaire based on this one thing that he he had a brainstorm one. He saw this show, or somebody close to him saw this show. I don't know who who, but. What he thought was, hey, that Japanese show, why don't I just take the action sequences from that show? Dub them. And just dub them, and then I'll shoot my own stuff, which is completely different, all new stories, and I'll just intercut the two things. And um, bargain, I got a whole new show, and kids won't know the difference. And basically, that's what he did. And it, what's really interesting, if you're a Power Rangers fanatic and you actually have the original series on DVD... You will want to get those episodes out and then watch these and you will see exactly what is extracted from what and how these different plots and different actors. And it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's completely strange to A-B them. So uh, I, had, I had always heard about this, had never seen it. 
And uh, there's a, a bonus feature on here called uh, Power Progenitors, a Super Sentai Zyranger uh, Power Morphicon 2014 panel. And it gets into some of those details. Uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing as the Power Morphicon, but apparently there is. I guess there's a con for everything. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, this is uh, the whole concept of these guys is completely different from the Power Rangers. It really is. It's, it's not at all what the Power Rangers are or certainly any of the subsequent Power Rangers series. So, Super Sentai, look for it. Uh, S E N T A I, Zyranger. Ranger. Z-Y-U-R-A-N-G-E-R, the complete series. You can get away with it because the Power Rangers wore those masks... And all the monsters in the series had on those masks, <laughs> so you don't, you don't, you don't Seriously, know who they are. What Saban did was just—it it was kind of genius in a in a really low rent way. A low rent rate. All that, all of those shows were non-union shows, by I the know. way, people. All non-union shows, every yeah. single one of them. Uh, uh, a Life in Dirty Movies is a documentary about a filmmaker named Joe Slarno. Joe Sarno made a whole bunch of these sort of like bluish movies in the late 60s and 70s. They were these movies usually about women uh, having sexual awakenings. Sort of like along the lines of those Emmanuel <laughs> series, you know, yeah. or the Radley Metzger's films. Sure. We were talking about Henry Paris and all that kind of stuff like that. So this is a film about Joe Sarno. Um, and, and when it was made, Joe was still alive. He's since passed away. So Joe is in the film with his wife uh, talking about his life as a filmmaker. Interesting thing about Joe in those films from the late 60s and early 70s that were sort of these um, films that wanted to make um, softcore porn legitimate. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to insinuate real narrative stories and dramatic arcs and, 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 and they, they thought acting, although there was never really any actual acting in any, any of these movies, into these storylines and, and they thought that they were making sort of sophisticated adult films. Never really sort of panned out in the United States, but there was a brief moment in the late 60s, early 70s when these movies played in regular theaters all over yeah. the country. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Joe a life... In dirty movies. Uh, Wonder Years, by the way, we we uh, announced uh, back in the holiday holiday season that the Wonder Years was finally out in its complete season or its complete series, and now they're releasing these seasons individually. Uh, season one was released not too long ago, and now we're into season two. Um, and uh, you know it, they've done a wonderful job. Uh, the whole point of this has always been to get the music licensed. And this season two has some absolutely fantastic songs, and uh, you know this is this was the reason that it took so long, because you had to clear your Bob Dylan, you had to clear your Aretha Franklin, you had to clear your James Taylor and your Nat King Cole and your Simon and Garfunkel and the Diana Ross and the Judy Collins and the Bing Crosby and the, and the Temptations and. On and on and on and on. I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic... All of which could be done in the 80s when that was on television yeah. by the networks. It became way more difficult, you know, 25 years hence. So, I would almost say just get this to just enjoy the music. Put it in and listen <laughs> to the music. Not to mention, when you're talking about the Wonder Years, you're talking about the introduction to several of your favorite actors, directors, writers... True. Today, you're talking about your Seth Rogen, you're talking yep. about your uh, Judd Apatow, who was a yeah. writer on that series. Uh, you, you, uh, you're talking about all of, all of those guys yeah. were children roaming around that series in one capacity or another. Very either true. in front of or behind the cameras. Totally true. Um, I, got, uh, I got life itself over here. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> the Roger Ebert documentary, the Roger Ebert documentary, um, directed by Steve James, the wonderful documentarian who directed Hoop Dreams and yeah. some other things. Uh, Steve knew uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, and I knew his wife, Chaz, who plays a big role in this film. Um, you know, we're in Oscar season right now. This is not nominated for, um, but for could an have Oscar. Been. But it could have been. Well, it could have been. Uh, there are five great films nominated. There are lots of wonderful documentaries yeah. this year. 
15, 20 easily. Oh, easy. This could have very easily been nominated. What this really is, I think, though, is, is a film for film lovers who will love this film because Roger was a film lover. Yeah. And Roger was probably the preeminent uh, promoter of American cinema over the last 30 years or so. I think yeah. something like that. He's yeah. the reason why we love movies. This is a lovely film. It's a film made by people who love Roger Ebert, about Roger Ebert. Yep. So you have to keep that in mind. This is, it's not so much a, a documentary, although it's very raw and yeah. it gets into some heavy stuff Roger was going through. Uh, chemo and cancer and yeah. all that stuff. All of that is in this film, so you should be aware of that when you watch it. He didn't try to hide any of that um, uh, from the world. And so it's a brave, brave, brave film with a lot of uh, interesting insights in it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, you know, I've, I always had kind of a love, I shouldn't say a love-hate relationship, a, a, a love-disagree relationship with Roger Ebert, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but I, I certainly backed off from a lot of that. The, the, the film is, it, it, you know, if you're, especially if you're a film critic or you've been a film critic, you find yourself uh, in the movie in many respects. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it, it's very touching. Uh, the Chair, the complete first season. Uh, it, this is really interesting. The, uh, this is from the, uh, the guy, Chris Moore, who was sort of the godfather of Project Greenlight. We always associate uh, you know, Matt and Ben with Project Greenlight. Yeah. But really, uh, Chris Moore was the guy who sort of got the ball rolling on that in many respects. This is a, a, a five-disc set, five set of this original Star's um, show, which is in many respects much more interesting than Project Greenlight. The, the concept here is that you have two first-time directors, in this case these guys, na- a, a guy named Shane Dawson and uh, another director, a woman named Anna Martimucci, who are given the exact same screenplay to do two separate films. And uh, this goes through the process to see who, uh, you know, once they, they go through this kind of American Idol type process, uh, eventually, one of them will be given two hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a result. It's a really interesting idea. Um, it's a you could say that it's a little bit of a gimmick um, because both of these people do have experience, and you know you're 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 kind of pitting people against each other in what might seem like an unfair way. But what's interesting is it 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 shows you how material can be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, we often go like, wow, that idea was great. Or, Why did it turn out such a bad movie? Or, wow, they really took that crappy script and they made it in such a good movie. Hmm. What they, and, and you realize that the artistic process has so many different permutations to it and different people can put different things and a different spin on it. Really quite interesting. So uh, I think this is really, I think this is a series that has some, uh, some juice in it. So The Chair, The Complete First Season. Interesting stuff indeed. Art and Craft, another documentary that I have over here. I remember watching this a few months ago, and it's an absolutely fascinating documentary. It's about this fellow named Mark Landis, a little guy who was a, a fairly decent painter. He, he's probably, he, he probably exists somewhere along the, the, the Asperger's scale, this guy. When you talk to him, when you see him, when you understand him, you, you sort of get that sense about him. He was a wonderful painter, and what he has been doing for decades is painting himself all sorts of forged paintings of masters. Very, very good forged paintings of masters. Now, this is what he would do, though. He would give them away. He would would pose as a philanthropic donor, and he would go to museums and galleries, and he would say, I have this wonderful, wonderful Chagall, and it's been in the family for years. I'd like to donate it to you. And he's been doing this for years. Yeah. And they would take them and they would evaluate them. So there are all kinds of extraordinary paintings all over the country hanging in museums. 
painted by this little man who had no ill intent whatsoever. He didn't, he didn't steal anything. He didn't take any money for anything. He simply painted them and gave them away as though they were the actual thing that people were taking. It's an interesting sort of, sort of subject because what they get into in the documentary is, is the question of whether or not these paintings are any less valuable now that we know he painted them rather than that they, they were painted by the famous person that they were purported to be painted by, which is an interesting sort of question. Yeah. 30 years ago when we hung it up and we thought it was a Chagall, we loved it. We find out today that it's a Mark Landis and somehow it's not worth anything anymore. Interesting question indeed. That is, that is really cool. Well, we also have, uh, I don't know whether to say that this is nostalgic because it's, a lot of people might cringe. But back in the late 70s, there were some uh, dramatic biblical adaptations done, which are now out in a three-volume series of the greatest heroes of the Bible. And these are basically some pretty straightforward Bible stories uh, done with some fairly recognizable mid-level B actors from the 1970s in a uh, kind of sometimes embarrassingly melodramatic way. Uh, I'll give you a quick uh, rundown here. Volume 1 includes the Ten Commandments, Samson and Delilah, David and Goliath, the story of Noah. The biggies. The biggies. Uh, Volume 2 moves on to the story of Moses, Joshua and Jericho, the story of Esther and Abraham's sacrifice. And then finally, in Volume 3, we have the Tower of Babel, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jacob's Challenge, Joseph in Egypt. And uh, it's really kind of bizarre who shows up in these things. I mean, uh, you're, you're just, you, you, honestly, pretty much, there, there are some higher level actors. Uh, you know, Timothy Bottoms pops in here at one point. Um, Bernie Coppell pops in at one point. It's a little bit weird, <laughs> if, especially if you watch TV a lot in the 1970s. You kind of feel like this is the love boat of Bible stories. <laughs> but um, what's, what's funny is, is Ridley Scott probably could have made all of those movies for the catering budget on Exodus. <laughs> That's true. A day's catering budget on Exodus. He Very could have, true. He could have made every single one of those. Yeah. I, I got this neat documentary here, Levitated Mass. We live in Los Angeles, of course. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Doug Prey, who directed this, Doug was, um, you know, I, it's funny. I'll, I, I went to school with, it's amazing. I, I look back and I'm like, good grief. It's not just Alexander Payne or Gina Prince, who, you know, Gina Prince Bythewood now, uh, who's making some great films. I went to school with Doug Prey as well. Yeah, UCLA, good film school. A good film school. He was in the, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I never would have imagined that he'd become such a great documentarian. Um, he, uh, I, I, when I was considering going into grad school, moving from undergrad to grad school, uh, I wanted to get into the producer's program for a minute and a half and, and eventually decided against it. But they were like, well, there's a really smart guy in the producer's program. Maybe you can talk to him and he can mentor you. So I, I okay, Doug Prey. So I, I sit down with the, with this guy, Doug Prey, and he's like, yeah, I'm in the producer's program, yeah. And I, I kind of asked him, I was like, hey, do you like it? And, and and you know, it was interesting. He was he was he was very kind of you know silent and quiet and philosophical and smart and sort of a kind of a heavy guy. Yeah. Um, didn't really encourage me or discourage me. Was just you know kind of wanted me to find my own path in a very Zen way. I found like I was in the presence of sort of a Zen master who was only maybe three years older than I was, and. Uh, Son of a gun, like, you know, three years later, Doug Prey, he's like a big documentarian. Yeah, and this particular film is really a great film. It, it, might, it might be more interesting to folks who sort of live in the area. Yeah. Los Angeles. Levitated Mass is about a gigantic, gigantic rock. At the L.A. County Museum at, of Art. Now at the L.A. County Museum of Art, it was yeah. dug out of this quarry. It's a gigantic, uh, I forget how many tons it is, but it's an extraordinarily large rock. It's an art project. And it was moved from that quarry all the way to the Los Angeles County Museum, several, mm-hmm. several hundred miles, 
eventually through the streets of Los Angeles, uh, all down through the through, yep. through, just every, uh, the entire process of doing that was quite a thing. Doug documents that while giving us a back the backstory of the artist and yep. why the rock and, and what's extraordinary about it, uh, about it in the first place. It truly is an extraordinary work of art that folks should go see. If you can't go see it, rent this documentary and you'll get as close as you need to. It's 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 true. I. I uh, I went and the last time I saw that thing was when the Kubrick exhibit was oh, at the yes. Museum of Art and we saw the Kubrick Museum. My, my daughter had literally just been born was was not very patient, but we schlepped her down there in the uh, in the uh, in the in the stroller to you know the Kubrick exhibit and here look that's a lens you're never going to remember that and I actually got, you know what I I have to show you I have a picture of myself holding her. And she looks completely shell-shocked right in front of the two dresses of the Psycho Twins from The Shining. <laughs> it's very funny. I'm holding her right in front of that. And someday she's going to watch The Shining, and then I'm going to show her that picture. And I'm sure she's just going to want to, like, punch me. It's like, that's why I was so disturbed. Oh, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so it was that, that I, we saw the Kubrick exhibit, then went to Levitated Mass right afterwards. And it's like, that was a, that was a great day. A fascinating thing. Yeah. Big-ass rock. Uh, so we got to also hear this uh, two-film collection of a couple of family Easter Classics or you know holiday classics. One is the Easter Promise. The other is Addie and uh, the King of Hearts. Uh, there's nothing particularly remarkable about these. Uh, they were made in uh, the mid '70s and uh, you know perfectly serviceable holiday family movie fare from the mid '70s. It, uh, it it doesn't date terribly well, but. You know, uh, you can't really go wrong with Jason Robards, and uh, Jason Robards shows up in a lot of this stuff in the '70s, and just brings kind of a, a a family homespun sense of gravitas that only Jason Robards could do, and he's just one of those great actors. So, uh, you know, why not um, give it a chance? You know, wait uh, for a holiday to roll uh, around. Jason Robards, you really can't. You, you actually really can't go wrong with nah. Jason Robards. Nah. Uh, years and years ago, they they there there were these. Wonderful documentaries made by uh, I think Bruce Brown. Yeah. Uh, the the on any given Sunday a documentary. So it's like 1971 is the first one. It's about bikers, motorcycle guys, dirt bikers, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the new one on any given Sunday, the next chapter in 3D was a, was the fascinating film in 3D. So here we have what is this? Is this Blu-ray Wade? Yes, that is indeed a Blu-ray. This is the Blu-ray. Um, it, this was a really wonderful film to watch in theaters. It presented very well in theaters. Yeah. It's big, it's loud, it's noisy, it's exciting. Um, like his father, Dana Brown, uses music to yep. sort of enhance all of the experiences that were happening. And of course, now we have cameras like GoPro cameras and all of these yeah. other specialized lipstick cameras, things like that. You can put places, you couldn't put a camera in 1971. Right. Right. Uh, so we have perspectives and points of view and all kinds of things here that will just really sort of blow your mind. you got to kind of be into this stuff, but if, uh, if you are into this stuff, this is a film to watch on any given Sunday, the next chapter. Uh, you know, the Wahlburgers uh, is the, uh, in the, now in the second season, is just a very, I just don't know what to make of this. I love Mark Wahlberg. Mm. I love Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie. I don't need to know about the rest of their family. I really <laughs> yeah. don't. I just don't. Unless they can sing or act. I just don't. <laughs> I don't such, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's like, I just, I, it's too much, TMI, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you have a family and you, and your family has done anything of note, or anyone in your family has done yeah. anything of note, you're probably fodder for a reality show. Yeah, it's, it's really true. But anyway, uh, I'll, I'll say this. It's about a, a, a quarter notch better than most of these shows. I would, uh, it's probably, it feels more legit, certainly, than watching uh, Ozzy and his whole family just be dysfunctional, or yeah. even watching Gene Simmons and his family jewels and do their whole thing. Somehow this, this feels a little bit more legit, um, but barely. Just like a just like a, a hair. Um, that said, it's uh, you know, 
what can what can you say? Mark Wahlberg's a really good actor and a very smart guy. Uh, yeah, in 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 a, in a whole lot of different ways. Although he's still not going to yeah. be able to carry that gun. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, here is uh, uh, Maison Close. Uh, this is season one of uh, a really really interesting show, and um, it's I I here's here's the thing. Period television shows face an amazing uphill battle. Mm. Uh, whether it's Deadwood, whether it's you know China Beach, uh, whether it's uh, any of those you know Henry VIII shows, even even something like Game of Thrones, which has a fantasy fantasy quality to it, you have to not only deliver the the production value, but you also have to really deliver a sense of credibility about the era that you're re- you're recreating. Indeed, which on a, on a weekly basis is uh, is not easy. And uh, what's even cooler about this? This takes place in uh, the in a Parisian. Whorehouse, let's call it brothel. <laughs> yeah, uh, in the 1870s, and that already that now gives you two two difficult hurdles. Not only is the period thing a hurdle, but the, the Paris thing is a hurdle. And then I'll give you one more. It's in a whorehouse. Yeah, which means you're going to get a lot of really really nasty kind of you know closet types, a raincoat crowd. <laughs> yeah, the 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 parents basement types thinking that they're going to see something really prurient, and it isn't. No. As this is a, this is a, this is really a very smart but brave show, and I want to just salute the people who greenlit this thing. Uh, this is this came to us from uh, Music Box Films. This is a Blu-ray. This is one of the big acquisitions that Music Box has made in quite a while. They're I'm trying normally, to think what would be the equivalent of a show like that at, in, in the North American market, e- I, e- even Canadian. There isn't one. I can't think there of anything. There just isn't anything the, like we this. We have plenty of shows that are sort of you know, um, but I can't think of anything. No, like that. it it it's it's not prurient. Uh, it's 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 barely provocative, but as a character study, as kind of a recreation of a psychology, as a it, it's just really a very brave show, and uh, it's it, it's done some amazing things uh, in its first season, and I think the future seasons are going to be great. And I want to salute Music Box as well. You know, Music Box is a small company that usually releases a lot of uh, French language films, just a few films a year, norm, most of them French, picked up at festivals and whatnot. And this is kind of a big deal for them to release this on Blu-ray of mm. all things. So. So, uh, you know, they're going, they're putting themselves out there, taking a step up. And Music Box, by the way, you know, I, I should point out full disclosure, they also released the OSS 117 films on oh, DVD yeah. Yeah. and quoted me on both boxes. So, well, so too. Right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I, I got a movie here called First Man on the Moon. So it's another one of those Nova, uh, those PBS Nova documentaries. Yeah, I, which, I, which I, are all great. I, I just mentioned it because it is, in fact, great. It's beautiful. I've actually seen this one on PBS, black and white photography from. Oh, uh, photography from the from the '60s that covers the entire that entire period of the space program of the NASA space program, uh, and it's fascinating stuff. Um, you know, uh, it's fascinating stuff about the guys that have the right stuff. Beautiful. All right, we are right at the end of the show. We are a little bit over time, and I'm going to wrap out just with uh, Mark. Always hates it when I do this. I usually try to start those shows with it, but uh, I'm going to wrap out with just some. We got some great classical stuff here. And uh, this always comes to us from Naxos and their affiliated labels. And uh, if you're a, if you're an opera fan, if you're a ballet fan, uh, again, these these are uh, mostly on Blu-ray. The audio on these is just to die for. Uh, it's literally like having the performance in your house if you have a 5.1 or a 7.1 or a 7.2 setup. So uh, this stuff will just blow your mind. First off is from uh, Opus Arte, the Royal Opera in the UK at the Royal Opera House in London. Uh, Wagner's Parsifal from Warner Classics. Uh, it, you know, it's Wagner. It's just crank those speakers up and just uh, just blow your mind. Uh, also, 
from uh, Opus Arte in the Royal Opera House is a wonderful boxed set of Mozart operas, including uh, The Marriage of Figaro, Don Giovanni, uh, and Die Zauberflotte. Uh, again, huge... Great directors, great composers, great, all of those. Great yeah. directors, great, uh, um, great conductors. Top-notch across the board. Uh, and then we also have uh, more Wagner, the entire uh, Ring of the Nibelungen, uh, from the uh, people at just... Arte, which is not the same as Opus Arte, just regular Arte. Uh, this is, you know, a, a huge, huge production, and uh, that's a, a that's a, a beautiful one as well. Um, that's a good looking box too. That beautiful red a, and black box. It's a, you know, they just, I mean, the production value on these on these particular classic sets always, always just go right over the top. They uh, they know their they know their audience. Verdi's Falstaff with the uh, Vienna Philharmonic and uh, conducted by Zubin Mehta, staged by Damiano Michiletto, is uh, also really, really impressive. Um, I'm a big fan of Bruckner, not a, not uh, as much as Beethoven or whatnot, but I uh, I love Bruckner's symphonies, and this is Symphony Number no. Five, a Blu-ray performance by uh, Christian Tillman and the Staatskapelle Dresden. I'm, my German's getting better. Indeed. It's, it's getting better, Tim. It's, it's improving. Uh, this is a lovely, lovely performance. Again, fantastic audio. Uh, Swan Lake uh, is staged by Rudolf Nureyev, the amazing uh, Swan Lake Ballet with uh, the fantastic Tchaikovsky music uh, from the Vienna Staatsballet. Again, more amazing stuff. You know, Vienna is the place to live if you're going to... Vienna is like the Hollywood of classical music and performance, yeah. isn't it? And that Nureyev is just extraordinary. People forget. Brezhnikov came along. Yeah. People say, but Nureyev is just Nureyev, extraordinary. No. Nureyev was... Yeah, he was like the, he was like the, the godfather of them all. Uh, we get uh, a fascinating, weird staging of uh, a Nutcracker nut from Arthouse Music called A Nutcracker with the uh, dance company Malka... Choreography by Buba Landril Chuda. You Real notice, high concept stuff there. You notice how choreographers never have names like, I don't know, like, like, like Frankie Schwartz. No more Bob Fosse. No, <laughs> they just aren't. With a name like Buba Landril Chuda, you have to be a choreographer. You cannot work at the local deli. You must be a choreographer. And now uh, he must dance. That's right. Uh, and then you also have more traditional versions of the Nutcracker, Sleeping Beauty and Swan Lake, on this lovely boxed set of uh, Tchaikovsky ballets. From the Dutch National Ballet uh, the, uh, and the Teatro Scala. This is also from Art House Music. Wonderful three Blu-ray boxed set. Uh, again, music that is just beyond... That Sleeping Beauty is fantastic. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, Maris Jansen's Conducts is uh, a, a, essentially a, uh, a combination of you know, some of his... Great, some some better some of his better performances from uh, Verdi and uh, and others. Um, we and then wrapping it out here, we've got the Nicholas Harncourt Opera Collection uh, productions uh, from the uh, Opera Opera House Zurich in Switzerland. These are productions of uh, Don Giovanni and Cosi Fan Tutte. Uh, this is in celebration of his 85th birth, uh, birthday. This uh, extraordinary. Uh, artist and uh, trying to do this before we run out of time. Richard Strauss, oh. uh, also Sprague's Zarathustra, not just the 2001 theme, but actually the rest of it the rest as of, well, yeah, which, yeah. which is is a pretty complete uh, production for, with the uh, Royal Concertable Orchestra, conducted by Andres Nelsons. And then, lastly, here uh, is a modern dance. Uh, uh, Staging uh, called Romeos and Juliets, 
with uh, choreographed by Sebastian Lefrancois. There's another name for a choreographer. Uh, this is also from Art House Music. Uh, uh, not quite my thing. I, I kind of understand what they're doing here. They're kind of trying to do it's like ballet a, or modern dance. It's like a it's like a hip hop modern ah. ballet dance adaptation of Shakespeare. Yeah, okay. It's uh, it's experimental. Yeah. I, I you know I give them props for trying, even though you you, you kind of snicker a few times. Well, it's, it's a little a little bit of a, a giggling thing. Or Orson Welles started doing that 50, 60 years ago. You know. And then lastly, uh, Beethoven's uh, Ninth Symphony uh, in on a Blu-ray entitled Ode, Ode to Freedom. To Freedom. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is, uh, essentially what this is, this is the uh, performance of um, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, along, uh, conducted by Kurt Masur, uh, on the occasion, that this was like the commemoration of the 25th you know, anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming mm-hmm. down uh, when it came down in 1989. And then along with that is a, a segment called Classical Music and Cold War, uh, which is all about musicians in East Germany, which is just fantastic. I mean, it's just beautiful Mu- how music sort of keeps your hope alive. Really an extraordinary piece. And uh, then really quickly, uh, so that everybody knows these are out there, we also uh, get some wonderful stuff uh, sent to us from La La Land Music uh, every once in a while who releases a lot of great special soundtracks. And uh, if you're a CD collector, we've got the Star Trek Enterprise collection, uh, the original television soundtrack, a uh, really a fantastic, uh, complete and expanded uh, 10th anniversary edition of the score for Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Even if you don't like the movie, even if you think the movie's like a gory mess, for, for, even if you have no religious bone in your body, this is great music by John Debney. It's yeah, arguably the Debney. best score that John Debney has, has ever written. Really just superb. Um, they also released the uh, Danny Elfman Batman collection, a complete box set of all the Danny Elfman Batman scores. Uh, the David Arnold score for the remake of Shaft, a horrible movie. Yeah. Uh, real John Singleton's remake. But a great score. But the score was still really a, really a cool score. And then Danny Elfman, the score that kind of put him over the top. In Big Top Huey, which of course also brought us uh, Tim Burton as a as a feature filmmaker. So, exactly. a lot of fun stuff there. Tim, thank you so much for so for much sitting, fun sitting in for Mark. Uh, we've got the Oscars next week, and then uh, Mark will be back on this show next week when we are all done with the Oscars. Uh, remember, we we have a. Um, we have our, uh, our office pool, our Oscar pool, at funofficepools.com. So go there, find the group The Digigods. The password is Lars von Trier. Again, The Digigods. And uh, Lars von Trier is the password. If you have a hard time logging in, just uh, go onto the Facebook page and uh, ask a question. And uh, we will help you out and help you get all signed up. And um, you can do it right up until the Oscar show starts. You can change your votes, and you can do whatever you need to. And if you win, you're going to get some great Blu-rays, including Boyhood and the Frank Darabont collection. So uh, keep doing that. And then we also do, just as a reminder, we have a giveaway this week. Uh, you want to send us a, uh, a, an email, gods at digigods.com, with book in the uh, subject line and your name and address in the body. And uh, you will be entered to win Book of Life, the super cool animated film, a Blu-ray, and we will send that to a person that we choose at random as long as we get your email, uh, time and date stamped by the 21st, by February 21st, which is the day before the Oscars on the 22nd. So you do that, and we will alert you as well if you are a winner. So with that, we will see you next week. <laughs>